it's kind of like the force. It surrounds us and binds us. It 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 is across and in all things. And everyone, <laughs> shut up, <laughs> shut up. Welcome back to another episode of the Refactor Podcast, the show where we try and help ourselves and you suck just a little bit less each and every day. My name is Frank Cole. And my name is Chris Tonkinson. And this is episode 78, recorded on August 30th, 2022. So you never call, you never write. We are like three episodes behind on release at this point. We've gone the whole month of August without anything. It's been a minute and it's all my fault, right? It is. It's completely your fault. It's not like I went anywhere interesting. (laughs) That's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, well, that's not entirely true. I did something slightly interesting. I was over at uh, Black Hat and DEF CON. Uh, that's my first time ever attending. You got, and you, did you get flooded out? Uh, I heard no, there was some. There was, the, there was a heavy rain. It's really interesting because being an East Coaster, uh, it was a rainstorm. You know, like it wasn't a particularly noteworthy rainstorm. It was just a rainstorm. But apparently... Mm-hmm. Even a rainstorm is not just a rainstorm when you're in the middle of the desert. So in the uh, desert, yeah. even in a city, which I found really, really interesting because, uh, yeah, everyone sort of you know lost their crap. And I mean, the water was just pouring down the streets and on the um, on the first day of Def on, which was over the weekend. So that would have been Friday going into the conference center. They had a whole section of road blocked off and and they were clearing it out. It was full of um, dirt and debris. But uh, honestly, most mm-hmm. of it was just trash from the homeless trash. living under the overpasses yeah. that got washed out. And I just think, yeah. I mean, why is this a problem? Like, yes, it's the desert, but y'all can build drains just like we can on the on the East Coast. I, I, I'm not really sure why that why the why flooding is such a such a problem, but. Um, I'm not a, well, we have Hills. So first of all, like we're not flat and level. So the water just sits there. And second of all, it's so dry. It doesn't absorb. Like you underestimate how much, uh, how much our soil here absorbs rain when it falls. So when you, when you've got that, like just flat, uh, imperviable surface, then it just sits there and collects and like under the underpasses and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so it was just it was oh. rushing down the streets. Uh, apparently, some some hotels got flooded. That's the other thing that drives me nuts. These hotels leak. Like, why are these hotels leaking? My 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 roof doesn't leak. Why why is your hotel leaking? Why is your why is your casino <laughs> leaking? I don't I don't I don't understand. Like, what why is this a thing? Do you, do you guys not have building codes out here? I don't I don't get that. Um. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of debris and dirt from, mm-hmm. from the home. And oh my gosh, did it smell over you know, where they had, where it had all collected. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was interesting. Um, conferences themselves, uh, having never been, it was fun to for, be there for the first time. Um, Black Hat was during the week, and that's very much more vendor oriented. Um, they have, uh, I was there as, as part of my, uh, team for my current company, so I only got the pass for the um, for the hall to to actually go into the vendor hall. They actually had a, right. a a bigger pass that you could buy as an individual, and you can go to set information sessions and things like that. Mm-hmm. But that ticket, like the vendor hall, was I don't know five hundred bucks, which I think is pretty damned expensive for a vendor hall pass. 
Uh, and then to get the full ticket to go to all the information, actual sessions of the conference, it was like three mm-hmm. grand. Like it was, was it really super expensive ticket. Yeah, it was crazy wow. expensive. So, I mean, I would have gladly done it, but it was just way too expensive. So I didn't, see, I, I can't rich. speak to any of the sessions. Um, uh, the uh, conference hall was cool. It was big. It was, I mean, mm-hmm. and there were, I mean, every big name you can think of was there. And, you know, some of them had these, these just gargantuan um, setups, uh, tons mm-hmm. of swag and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um which of course, you know, is the reason that you go to the floor. Um, I saw some new stuff, saw some, some rehash stuff. Um, uh, overall, uh, a, a fun, a, a fun engagement, I guess. Uh, you know, we were there to network and we, you know, we, we got done what we accomplished, what we needed to. Um, mm-hmm. And then we had DEF CON over the weekend. So where, where Black Hat is more vendor oriented, it seems like DEF CON's definitely oriented at more, security operators um the actual hands-on folks right um defcon's very much much more deconstructed uh there is um they have vendors but they are not overt sponsors the way that they would be in traditional conferences they come as part of a presentation in one of the um in one of the halls and but uh you know you don't sponsor the same way in fact uh they make that conference seems to make all their money uh, from tickets, uh, but they also sell these badges. As you go to the various yeah. halls, yep. you can buy a badge to say that you did that thing, and it's extra mm-hmm. money for the badge. And that's how they that's how they make their money. Which is, I thought that was actually pretty clever. I I, um, I bought the badge. My my team had presented in one of the um, in one of the halls, mm-hmm. and so I bought the badge for that hall. That was that was cool, you know. So. Um, and I mean, the information that was being presented, really cool, in-depth stuff, um, very useful, not just to hackers, but anyone with any kind of security angle, which is literally everyone who is in the range of the sound of my voice, uh, especially for, you know, this audience. I mean, we've said it before, if you're doing this kind of work, you are in security. Uh, so very, very good stuff for, for everybody. And they had physical security. They had stuff, they had a, a room where that was, it was just car hacking the entire, uh, yeah. village. That's the term I was thinking. They call them villages. Village. Yeah. And so it's anyone can sign up. I mean, you got to get approval, but anyone can come with an idea for a village. And then if it gets well attended, then you do it the next year. That's pretty much how the, the thing has grown. And so there's a car hacking village and they had a Tesla parked in there and they had it all sort of ripped out and they were playing with it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was, it was cool. They had rooms like, like that all over the place. Um, so really neat stuff. And then the talks themselves, I mean, you could go into any room and the talks were super duper interesting. Um, so that's, that's the good side on the downside. Uh, Defcon did not do a good job estimating their traffic this year. So they got somewhere around 30,000 people attending this thing. The okay. the space that they had a, accommodated for probably half that number. So oh, really? you had so to you had lines. I'm talking Disney World style lines to go into halls to see speakers which I have never seen before. Like there were lines to go yeah. sit down and, and actually look at, you know, 
there was a line around the building to do the swag. Purchases. I wonder if they publish. I wonder if they publish attendee numbers on a year-over-year basis. Is this like? Uh, unexpected or poorly planned for spike in demand or trend, or is it always like this? I've always wanted to go, uh, mm-hmm. and I've never, just never had the opportunity uh, yeah. to get down there. Yeah. Um, it, it yeah. could be, I mean, it could be a, like a post-COVID rebound kind of thing. Everybody's out of out of lockdown, and so they're all, you know, oh, let's go. Um I, I can't- Well, also just, that's why I say like, like what is what has been the trend over the last- I would say five years, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've just got an unholy sum of money, VC mm-hmm. money still funneling into the entire security sector right now. And I wonder right. if that's not goosing stuff like this. Possibly. Um, they don't take any of that money that's pure individual attendees, as far as I can tell. Uh, that's what they talk about. Um, truth could be different. Um the other, I think the other problem that they have is because, because of their posture as a hacker uh, conference, a lot of these, a lot of these folks that attend like to stay off the grid and the, the, um, the event caters to them by not requiring upfront ticket purchase. You can actually show up at the mm-hmm. door and pay cash. Yeah. Like they, they, they facilitate that because they, you know, people want to stay anonymous. They want to stay off the grid. Mm-hmm. Um stay off lists. So it's really, in that sense, it's going to be hard to predict because, you know, who, who shows up day one could be, you know, totally different. You never know. So, I mean, it's a good problem to have good for them, but in terms of a, in terms of an attendee experience, well, but that's it, beside the point. Like, like that's why I'm talking about the trend over the last couple of years. And obviously they know how many tickets they sold each year. So I'm true. just curious if they publish that and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you could probably find it out. I know that this was the so, first time they've been in person since COVID though. So that, that, Gonna make it hard to uh, to guess. I don't yeah. want to hold them. Too so like accountable. the like the hacking villages are famous, and I know there's like a lot of red, blue, purple talks and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. a lot of research being presented. Was mm-hmm. there much? I'm just curious because I've again I've never been. Was there yeah. much policy, or was it all sort of tactical? There is now a policy village. I didn't get into it, but there's actually a whole section of talks gotcha. and and conversation geared around policy, yeah. which is new this year. So that's a new thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a great, that was a great sign because that's exactly yeah. the kind, we need that kind of rigor in, in our industry and we were lacking it. And, and so it's good to see that that is, it's moving in that direction. Uh, if I tended again, I would try and get in there. Um, but like I said, uh, between the stuff I was doing for my company and then just the lines themselves, I really didn't see nearly as much as I wanted, which was really the heartbreaking part. Um, Mm -hmm. I have uh, one other piece of feedback I have, and if anyone from DEF CON is listening to this, um, you know, I, I hope they take this construction. Which they, they all are. Oh, let's be honest. Of course. Of course. they Wrapped attention. Um, I, I I almost didn't want to say this because, you know, DEF CON is, you know, attendees and, and participants and volunteers being the kinds of folks that they are, you know, I, I might be risking incurring the wrath here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and risk it. Guys, your goons were just assholes. Like goons are the uh, volunteer event mm-hmm. managers who man booths and they handle overflow and and lines and all that kind of stuff. And they were just rude. They were just flat. Yeah, that's rude. a shame. Now I have I have sympathy for them. It was a huge event. You had a lot of people. I get that. Okay. However, I have some background in this. 
you know, when I was working for, uh, for the nonprofit way back when, Destination Imagination, we put on a year-end event every year, and we would have way more than 30,000 people in attendance for a week on site in, at the University of Tennessee. My entire staff was a grand total of 10 people, and then we had volunteers through the university that we partnered with and through our volunteers as part of our organization that, that helped out. Okay. So it was a big effort, but it really boiled down to a small group of 10 people. Okay. For somewhere around 60 to 70,000 people for a five week, five day event. Okay. So I have some, some notion of the sense of scale and the requirements here. And I'm sorry, your volunteers being rude is not acceptable. Even at, even at the scale that you're at. Was it like a was it like an apathetic route or more of like almost like an aggressive? Oh, aggressive, aggressive route. I yeah, wouldn't bring stinks. it up if it was apathetic. So you know they had, uh, um, like they had congestion in the hallways because it was so busy, and I mean they were really gruff about that. Um, the uh, but the thing that stood out to me the most was um, how they were handling people with masks because for some I don't know reason. For some reason, DEFCON required a mask, okay, at all times. There was no mask mandate in Nevada. There was no ve- mask mandate in Vegas. There were no mask mandates in any of the hotels. I had been there all week. Black Hat didn't have any mask mandates. Nobody had been wearing masks anywhere at any time, outside of the occasional individual as the exception. And these guys were mandating it across the board. And so you had these weird scenarios where some of the talks were happening inside the hotels and inside the casinos, and you had these goons that's what they're called. I'm not actually insulting them. That's the name of the group. They're called goons. You had goons in parts of the hotel barking, and I mean genuinely barking at people. If you're here for DEFCON, put on your mask. And I'm like, so wait a minute. Hold on a second. We're in a part of the building where like, there are people walking without masks because they're not part of the conference. But everyone who was part of the conference had to have the mask on. Like, do you, Why? Like, Why are we doing this? It was just... It was a very, very silly rule that really just didn't need to be there. And a lot of the, the reason I'm calling that out, because I, I, people get into a lot of different, you know, they have a lot of different postures on this mask stuff. I, I, I think it's personally worthless. Yeah, I just, um, But I, I, they were, the reason I bring that up is- You got to be coming to a point because I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm bringing that up is because they were using that. At, that was one of the things that they were particularly- overly aggressive about. And so mm-hmm. on the one hand, like you guys can't be rude. On the other hand, one of the things they were most rude about was this really draconian rule. And so it required a lot of enforcement. And so I'm, I'm trying to be I'm trying to find an excuse to be a little lenient, but like, yeah, generally no, speaking, the volunteers so. were I, just, were just mean about, you know, following the well, rules. But and you don't but need the to whole be. mass thing. You don't need to be, but the whole mass thing is, is completely besides the point, right? They had a rule. It's secondary. I, I, yes. And I've, you know, and I've come to this. No, it's it's not about the mass at all. It's it's literally nothing to do with COVID. the The point is like, and I've and I've struggled with this in a in a few instances lately. Uh, in in my nine to five, and hell, in my five to nine, right with uh, with the little kids in the house. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've really come to appreciate. I've I'm really slow to make rules. Right. Even slower than I used to be, because mm-hmm. here's the here's the honest truth. You make a rule, it's got to be enforced. Mm-hmm. A rule and enforcement go hand in hand. They have to. They have to go hand in hand. Right. And 
I'm not saying there aren't exceptions and I'm not saying there isn't leniency and grace and understanding and empathy and all of that sort of stuff. That's great. Um, but particularly with like, okay, so, so a DEF CON has a policy. It results in a rule that everybody's got to be masked. You've got to enforce it. And to the degree you have 30,000 people and maybe nobody was expecting that or nobody really wants to do it. Like, the rule enforcement has to be there. Otherwise, why have the policy? Why have the rule? The whole thing's a farce. And then somebody in that kind of scenario, then somebody gets sued, right? The risk adjustment right. comes in and then everything, everybody gets miserable. Right. So firewall, no excuse for them to be D bags right. about everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, but, and it was, it was across the board too, like getting people to move and getting people to line up. It was very, very yeah. barky and a, you know, like a, maybe that's know, the way they always are. I like don't, a, now I, I'm gonna don't know. now I'm gonna have to go because I've always wanted to go just because I like I've never held a great security content. title. Great um, content though, and yeah. I've but I've I've always just been in love with infosec, right? And I, I've always wanted to go to Black Hat and DefCon just because, but again, because I don't have a security title, like I don't really have an excuse to expense it, well, and so I've never gone. Yeah. But see, now I'm going to be looking at now I'm going to be looking in uh, looking at secondary information online to try to see like what are the numbers? Could they have expected this? Is this normal? Mm-hmm. Are the goons always bastards, or is this just <laughs> you know like right. this year because maybe they didn't want to enforce the mask thing, May- and so that's like. Now I'm really curious whether, like, to see if there's any evidence of of what you're saying being kind of the norm or like out of place. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. exactly. Um, I'm just curious. Yeah, I had some. Uh, so I had some uh, some of my the folks on my team that were there were actually some longtime attendees. They said that that behavior has happened, but before, but it mm-hmm. was more of an exception than the norm. And this year was really bad. Is what they seem. Oh, to they say. really that, turned it up. That's yeah. what they seem to say. That's a shame. Yeah, that 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 was a shame. Um, well, and that just, that just points to, okay, well, you, you need to do more training and preparation with your, with your volunteers. Yeah. That's, that's what was that the, says. Was there me. a suggestion box? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, they're probably actually, I'm looking for, I haven't gotten an email yet, but if, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll, I'll get like a solicitation for feedback. I'll probably uh, give them something. Um, so, uh, you said something interesting though. You said, you know, I, oh, I don't, I, I have, I've always been interested in InfoSec, but I, I don't have it in my title, so I can't justify the cost. That that's a problem. I mean, industry wise, I think that that's a big problem because I you and I I don't think you're wrong. No, you and I do security. Uh, Every engineer, every software developer does security. Every sysadmin, every DevOps. No, I know. I know this is I know this is your hobby horse. And I I don't say that to denigrate your point, but like, it's true. It's true. I'm going to stay on this one. I'm going to keep barking because the notion that there is some some special exclusive class of quote unquote security people is, is non-existent. And it really, I would think most of the attendees at DEF CON would agree too, because it was oh wholeheartedly. I would say without it's, it's probably a little bit of an understatement to say that the attendees of DEF CON represent a very diverse, eclectic group. <laughs> to put it mild. That was, I'm not used to hearing you say things politically, but that was, <laughs> was so that was a little awkward for me to hear. It was quite, it was it was quite a it was quite a colorful collection of of individuals walking around that place, and you know, so I, 
security is, is is a thing that crosses all fields. It's not its own field, and everybody is responsible for it. And that, to me, is the one thing that should be justifiably it is, it purchased. Is, it, no, it, it is not. and it isn't. It is and it isn't. Okay, right? what, do, what uh, do you mean here? We might, I might ring the bell on you. We'll see here. What, what do you mean? What I mean to say is uh, it is unique in that way. Mm-hmm. Just like lots of other disciplines, mm. right? You're a very special snowflake, like all the other special snowflakes. You mean? Something no, like I'm that? not. Like I'm not trying to be like that. Like the first thing that comes to mind is legal. Okay. Right. Um, second thing thing to come to mind uh, would be design and marketing. All right. So okay. it's like recovering. Well, uh, as as recovering entrepreneurs, we we understand innately that legal and finance and operations and security and design and go to like strategy like that there is no product but for all of these things that both are and are not their own individual thing right like and so i think what you're calling attention to is that maybe for uh an individual contributor i would argue that like out of all of those other things security is is first among equals if it is actually truly equal to the others Mm -hmm. so i think that's where i'm saying like you have a point there that that security but it is kind of special in that regard right um okay and so like i don't need every individual in my organization thinking about how to how to phrase language in a contract right because Mm -hmm. an individual contributor in one of my software development teams is not reviewing contracts is right. not interfacing with the clients or the end users that they're just they're not a part of that process and if they need to be i'm there to help them right but right. they're not going to be right security is a little more pervasive than that it is it is i think to your point substantively uh socialized to some degree like it's it's it really is everybody's responsibility in some capacity and in engineering i think that capacity is really obvious Mm -hmm. um some other roles it's still important but maybe less obvious or less day-to-day so yeah it you're right you're right in that it's different and and it's just it's it's like all the other stuff but it's just more so right does that make sense yeah yeah i i mean i will agree with you my my opinion takes it more uh takes it further than that so so your your assessment lands inside completely if this is a venn diagram your circle is completely inside of my probably larger circle here because i think it's actually um more um uh pervasive you know the, the security is, is it's kind of like the force it surrounds us and binds us it it, it is across and in all things and everyone <laughs> shut up <laughs> shut up um <laughs> And in uh, your any of your any and all of your engineers and your sysadmins and all of them are effectively your your force sensitive padawans at a minimum. Like they all they they're not getting away from it. You know that they're they're all sensitive to it and 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 have to be receptive to it. And there there's no getting around yeah. that. Um and so you can't the way that I, I liked your analogy with legal where you know like you're. I don't need an engineer thinking about contracts, right? But your yeah. but your legal team does actually need to think a little bit about security, not the same way your engineers do, but your engineers yeah. need to think about it even more. And so the you know I think maybe that's why I go to 
I use, I go to the extreme to illustrate the point and to, to facilitate the conversation, uh, maybe. So I think that security departments are stupid. I think that having a separate dedicated security department is yes, yeah, that's, and that's, it's, this is where, this is where we part ways. Cause right. I think we, we, substantively aligned that securities, just like all the other disciplines, but more so we can, we can agree on that. Right. Maybe our, maybe our shades of gray are, are a little darker. Lighter, don't take that we're, analogy we're aligned there. I'm, I'm, I'm right. a happily we're, married man. Don't, don't take that analogy. We're, we're aligned there more than, more than we aren't. Uh, but where I lose you is this idea that, that having a security function within an organization is, is point. I don't know if you're saying pointless or, or, like actively harmful overall, I'm but saying, that's where that's right. where you lose. Me. Okay, so so I'm saying far from actually not having a dedicated function, I'm saying that it's so important that the function actually needs to be actively disseminated across the entire organization. The notion that it, you have it as a centralized leg of the stool actually does it a disservice because it it removes it distances the security operation from the day-to-day, which is where it really needs to be. I'll give you a perfect example, the most concrete example. Um, we, uh, in, my, in my old job, we were hands-on technical operators in the DevOps space, and um, we were security first. That was that was part of our, our mantra. And so oftentimes, we'd get mm-hmm. people applying for jobs who were, oh, oh, security DevOps. Sure, I, I, I do the securities. Hello, fellow engineers. Yeah. And what these ended up being were just what I call security wonks. These are people who don't actually have any hands-on knowledge or capability. And all they do is wax poetic about security policy and things that you should do, but have no innate understanding of how it gets done, how to implement it, what needs to be implemented, all that kind of stuff. And so you need that but that level of innate understanding of how the security applies is going to be different across the board. How an engineer, a software engineer, thinks about security is similar, but not totally the same as how a sysadmin, an IT administrator, or a cloud, AWS, GCP, Azure uh, administrator, thinks about security. But it is equally important in each of those unique spaces that security be very much in the trenches with the day-to-day operators and security departments by definition are not there. So I'm okay with say, well, but this is a fallacy of false. This is fallacy of false alternatives. You're suggesting that by having some centralized security organization within your, within your company, you cannot also embed. Cause what it sounds like you want to do is embed security analysts or red or blue teamers or whoever with the product teams, with the engineers. That's what it sounds like you want to do. Yeah. That's, that's not incompatible with having a centralized security function. You're absolutely right. But unfortunately, because humans be doing human things, Things, what happens is that as soon as you start to build the security department, it becomes its own thing. And those silo walls, they just naturally rise up. So no, I don't disagree with you. And it is entirely within the realm of possibility for a company to do it what I would call the right way and still have a okay, security so, department. So- but it doesn't happen that way in my experience. Most people don't do it the right way. And so because most people don't do it the right way, I go, okay, then let's just stop doing this because this always leads to bad outcomes. Instead, let's focus on doing, you know, uh, good making good habits that will always work well. Does that make sense? Like, I'm okay but with CISO. You, I, I, 
I'm okay with a CISO, like, you know, somebody who's sort of coordinating, collaborating these efforts across the board, but like, you know, he shouldn't have a, he shouldn't have, or she shouldn't have an individualized team. Like they, they should have people embedded inside of the, so let's say, let's say a really, let's say a trivial example, right? And obviously, obviously this is a leading, this is a leading example because the point is how do you scale this, right? Okay. I have I have a small company. I have two separate product teams. Okay. There's a CISO. Okay. And then there's a security analyst, security practitioner, we'll just say generically. Sure. One on each of those product teams. We okay. embed them in those teams. We distribute the effort because we think that's the way that it should be done, right? But, okay. Who do they report to? Development managers, product managers, the CC. Like, what is right. the like? I'm, I'm like tactically. I, I understand what you're trying to say, and I still mm-hmm. don't agree a hundred percent. But like, what does that actually look like? So, what how I, do they? How do they report? How do you organize work? How do you? Uh, how do you prioritize? Like, that's, what is the team dynamic? There? So, so because you might be onto something. No, I, th- I think I am because some of this idea was born out of a. Um, uh, was born out of a, a theory that I was uh, working on um, about, uh, let's see here. Did I, did I publish this? I think I did. Um, I need to find it. Um, there's a, uh, I've been working on this notion about how to organize teams around, uh, around remote work. And um, I'll see if I can find the, um, I have a pod, a, a blog post about it, and uh, there's a visual that goes along with it that I'm actually looking for here. Um, the key is because because you run into the same problem with other parts of the team. Like security has like there's the 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 security person and who does he report to, but there's also the project manager if you have one or the team lead, whoever that might be, and then you have the engineers too. They they all are serving multiple interests. On the one hand, they have their their field of expertise, the software development, the security, the act of running the project. And then you also have the um, uh, end goal of the team, which is building the product, building the project, whatever it happens to be. And so um, what to answer your question, I think that that person reports to the CISO, but only reports to the CISO in the sense that he or she would provide generalized strategic guidance on how they would like to see security done. But in terms of the day-to-day activity, the work that actually needs to get done and what, you know, what that work is and, 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 you know, the decisions being made, that all falls to the team. And so it's a, we're talking about a distinction about uh, separation of, I would say, strategic guidance versus the tactical execution. So, the CISO in this hypothetical, the CISO would have no oversight or responsibility to tell that security person what they need to do for that project. They just, they just wouldn't. Now, they could talk about it and give advice and insight and guidance, but it would be on that security person to actually, with and in conjunction with the team that they're working with, to decide what actually needs to be done and what should and should not be done. Um, because that allows the team to operate in its own best interest while the, while the CISO maintains some, some higher level oversight to make sure things are generally going in the, uh, in the right direction. Um, so that's, 
That's the theory in in uh, in a sense. Now, there's one catch to this, this whole approach here. If, if, if you go this route, the only way it works and the reason that you don't see this a lot is that it requires a very overt, concerted effort to hand off agency and authority to the person in the best position to execute. In this case, it would be the security person on the team for the benefit of that project. So you cannot have, in other words, you cannot have that security person be required to run to the CISO for every little decision that needs to be made. They have to be able to operate independently. If you don't have that kind of a breakdown of agency and and authority, it won't work. And that actually, I think, is why a lot of security stuff and other company, other even other verticals like the ones you mentioned, legal, marketing, sales, like that's part of the reason why silos go up is because you've got these people at the top who are making decisions and they don't trust their team enough to do what they need to do. And so all the approvals or most of the approvals end up going through them. And so they don't actually work as individuals with their own fully functional prefrontal cortexes. I said a lot there. He's pondering. He's deeply pondering. He's trying to decide how much crap I'm full of. (laughs) So, so what do you do? All right. So, so take the scaling question, right? Now it's not two product teams. It's 12. Okay. Right. And there, there are more, there are more uh, security practitioners mm-hmm. spread among the organization than yeah. the CISO can keep his hands wrapped around. Yeah, that actually. Right. Supports, how, do you, how do you stratify and grow this? That only supports my argument because as the team grows, he cannot be he or she, the CISO, cannot be directly involved in the day to day. So that by actually. So what the hell is the CISO doing in this scenario? The CISO. Why does he? Why does this person exist? Why does? She, why does she have a job at this organization? So this it per- sounds like. She's really just pushing paper. So this person is not pushing paper. This person is mentoring and training and um, correcting and approving behavior at a, you know, at a, at a more um, advisory level, you know, leaving the responsibility to the people that are on the ground doing the job, checking the work, talking to them about the work, making suggestions, making corrections. Hey, you did this. And then, you know, that really needs to be this other way next time. Um, and generally giving guidance, here's where we're going. Here's, you know, here's what's on the roadmap. Here are the things to think about. And just being that guiding light for the entire, I'll say department for lack of a better term here. Wait, but you had suggested that the CISO had no purview over the way that the practitioners perform their duty. In, in terms of the individual decision-making day-to-day, but in terms of so then what to, is it that the CISO's critiquing? I'm saying uh, they're critiquing uh, the behavior in um, in arrears. So they you let the you if you give people the agency and, and autonomy, they're going to make decisions. They're going to make good decisions, they're going to make bad decisions. And they own them. Now, when a deci- a good decision gets made, you let that person know, hey, you did this, good job, do more of that. When a person makes a bad decision, you correct that behavior. Hey, that didn't work out. Why didn't that work out? Let's do this differently next time. And so the CISO is not the one who's actually making the decisions. They're just the ones who are 
handling the aftermath, if you want to say something like that, only where necessary. You know, if they're good at their job, that you we're kind of we're straddling into some into you know typical management type stuff, but you know, I I think it still applies here. If you are, if you're doing a good job, you've done a good job hiring people, the right people. You've done a good job training them. You've done a good job advising them, mentoring them, orienting them, uh, communicating the company's mission, vision, values. If you're doing all that really, really well, the machine tends to run itself. And then your job is just to make sure that the machine continues to run well. That's, that's a concept that you and I are intimately familiar with, both with individual teams and also with the infrastructure and the systems that we build. It's the same idea. We're just talking at a, at a higher level that's you know pure business as opposed to hands-on. Trying to draw an analogy mm-hmm. to sort of bring this down for you for what I'm seeing in my head. You can tell I me mean, I'm full of crap. That's fine. Like only like 50%. Oh, okay. Only 50. Like oh, it's nice. That was so like nice the, of you. I, there's some, there's, there's some activity. There are certain activities that in, in a, in a, in a larger life organization, they just, they just do need to be centralized. They just, there's not, and, and there's yes. gotta be like this idea that the CISO has no operational, uh, sway over the practitioners to me that's where you fall down because i and just to put this in context part of the the angle i'm asking this for and we can leave this topic because i you know i don't know if this is super interesting but like part of the reason i'm asking is because i've struggled with this i have a team we act as sort of the internal consultants for the rest of the organization so we've got two or three hundred uh members in our software organization writ large and uh, a dozen different product teams within that and there are teams that need help in kind of kind of three areas, right? There's there's the um, SDLC developer experience, you know, automation tool chain, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. There's security as a big nebulous undefined topic that I think you and I both kind of roll our eyes at to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then and then architectural guidance, right? Because not all the teams are blessed with the folks that can. Uh, make sound future-looking architectural decisions. We're trying to coordinate overall kind of platform strategy at the enterprise level. And so that's that's a thing that just is centralized, right? So we put all that together and we've we've got a centralized team that that speaks to those topics. And so okay. over the years, we have arm wrestled over whether or not uh, the automation engineers, the architects, the uh, security analysts on our team should they be centralized, right? Should should hmm. they all live and work together and just request some information from the other teams and then put out guidance and, and make recommendations? Or should they administratively report through us, but functionally we'd and 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 in the in model A, in the centralized model, mm-hmm. uh that everybody everybody's one cohesive team they work with us and it's a it's a pool of talent and so if we have a little more work over on this project or a little more work on that project we rotate around we don't assign people to a given project like you know we try to keep that mm-hmm. um keep that fluid yep model b we take these individuals and we apportion them we assign them okay you go you work with this group of products mm-hmm. full time and we still have that centralized administrative reporting, but like you're there, you're embedded, you get to know the technology, know the people you do, right? Yep. Um, and then we can use you as an arm to reach out, to get information, to push out policy and, yep. and things like that. We've struggled um, 
over the years to to figure out whether or not that ought to be centralized or decentralized. What are you doing today? Like every, what are you doing today? So historically, that? we've historically we've centralized it, and okay. uh, it's been about every bag. six months. Yeah, it's yeah. been a mixed bag because I also see failure modes on the distributed model that I'm I'm not a huge fan with, right? Um, and you know, because it's not it's not like my budget. It's not like this is a team of forty people, right? That I'm I'm you know mm -hmm. it's we have I would say you know three, four, five, you know, less than a half a dozen kind of coarse grained product groups that we would need to put people in. And I have less than that number of people total. So if I assign folks, then what happens is like there's risk. If I lose that person, then there's a big hole in the, you know, like there are real mm -hmm. operational risks mm -hmm. with the model in my specific case. Right. Um, and, you know, and so I, I vacillate. That's, that's kind of why I'm digging in on this idea of like abolishing the centralized team because like, I have spent time thinking about this in a little bit of a different capacity, but there's a security component. That's there's one a, of the three legs of the pill, you know, stool. Conceptually, this is um, very much overlapping with and it's where the same I'm thing, from. Right? It's the whether same it's thing. security, yeah. whether it's architecture, yeah. whether it's yeah. automation it's engineering, whether it's platform, like it's all the same. It's all it's the, the same, same problems, the same solutions, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, obviously I would be encouraging you to try option B and, and push those, push those folks out. Um, yeah. They're, uh, so some things that I think about if I'm in your shoes, you know, and having thought about this model now conceptually just for um, security and, and engineers, um, just because you push them to a single team doesn't mean they need to stay with that team beyond any given length of time. You do not need to give, you're not giving yeah, that can person be a, there away. There can be a rotation. You rotate yeah. them. Exactly. In fact, I would encourage that because rotation allows you to have somebody who's not in rotation. You can have somebody on the bench, so to speak, which gives them an opportunity yeah. to decompress, recharge, and more importantly, train. It gives them an opportunity yeah. to go and learn new things. Like say, I don't know, taking a week off and going to Black Hat and DEF CON, you know? Like there's, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's some, there's some things well, that there you can- There's some benefit there for you. Yeah, they're like, there are some things that you can do if you, if you think about it. Like it, that is important. Yeah. Um, so- by having the rotation, you eliminate the risk of any one person with um, unrecoverable knowledge, unique knowledge. You, you reduce that, yeah. that risk. Um, it also keeps things interesting for the rest of the team, uh, and it allows you to handle, um, shall we say, less healthy, uh, more toxic arrangements, you know, like just mm. people in and out of them. When, I'm talking about things beyond your control, obviously, but you know, yeah, like those yeah. situations, they come up from time to time. And if you know, okay, I'm only going to be here for so long and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to rotate out, you know, like it's, it, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that, that would offset the, the, the first issue that, that you had. Um, you also, it also sounded like you were a little concerned or hesitant about the sense of control over what, how the work gets done, not with the individual, but the sense of, I want to have a consistent experience across the board. And if I disseminate these people, then this person might do a little bit of X and then this other person might do a little bit less of X and a little more of Y. And so you end up with um, more um, inconsistent results due to the more um, independent agency that those, those operators have. Um, and that I think boils down to, 
uh, it goes back to what I was talking about with the strategic oversight, which really, I mean, brass tacks, it's meeting with those people on a regular basis, both individually and as a group, so that everyone stays on the same page about what their what the expectations are, what the business needs, where it's going, et cetera, et cetera. And you can you can off head that stuff off. You can de-risk that, I think, pretty pretty easily. Yeah, and that, that is, I mean, that's that's part of it. You know, you speak about like the like an, having an inconsistent experience mm-hmm. um, when when all of the product groups like this is not. Uh, you know, let's say not completely heterogeneous uh, technology stacks or architectures, right? Like there's a real- Well, you've done acquisitions. There's a so real- So you have different teams. Context like- switch, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. so, and so like how, you know, you've got to make, and this is this is just the problem with rotation. When you don't have an homogenous uh, substrate, if mm-hmm. I can be a little flowery, yeah, um, sure. that's the problem, right? You, you, you struggle with how long to make the rotations, right? You want to make them long enough that somebody can get their bearings, figure out what the damn thing is in the first place, acclimate mm-hmm. to what happened since the last time they were there, combined with the notes from the folks that had rotated in and out since then, um, and then actually get some work done, put their head down, focus, orient, mm-hmm. think, react, mm-hmm. respond, um, without having it be something where they're there for six months, which means they don't get back to that product for two years and they've forgotten everything by that point, right? Mm-hmm. Or or being so short that they really don't have time to get anything started and finished. Um, that's honestly the, the rotation aspect of that's where I wind up getting hung up. Like how long do you make it? And I think one of the things, I, I think you're right in that it ought to be something we should experiment with. And I think it's it's just, it's a lot of pain and disruption to calibrate all of those settings, right? How many folks, how long is the rotation? Mm-hmm. How, there's a lot of calibration there. And in the meantime, in the meantime, my fear is that there's a perception of chaos, right? Or, or a reality of chaos mm. while, we, while we get all of those variables calibrated. Um, and I think that's been a mental, emotional roadblock for me, really mm-hmm buying into the idea that like yes this will be awesome i'm like Mm. well it can be if we get all the all the you know knobs turned to the right setting Mm -hmm. um but how long does that take and what is the opportunity cost and you know and and when you're short-staffed it's it's tough yeah Um, so what what right now with the centralization it sounds like you still have people that are generally uh focused on um uh, like a given project, you know, they, 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 um, like it's still centralized, but you're, you're putting a person on a project because they have experience and they're stable with that project, with that team, with that code base, whatever. Uh, to be honest, to be or honest, do they with float? You, the, the do they genuinely float? We, we do float that. And I mean, that's that's kind of where I get stuck a little bit too, because effectively it winds up being a rotation because the initiatives that we try to push out are meaningful enough that you really wind up spending a couple of months with one product team right. to get the thing done. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of de facto rotation already, mm-hmm. um, which is where then if I swing back and I'm like, well, yeah, we kind of do this already. It's just unstructured, which adds chaos and stress, and uh, and so if we formalized it, that could help with this, and you know, it, and it becomes yes. like I said, it's it's been something I've I've 
considered for quite a while and I've just right. never pulled the trigger on it. Yeah. I think, I think it comes down to, cause you're, that's what I suspected. You're already doing it in, in a manner of speaking and you rotate, you just don't have a fixed time period on your rotations. Your, your rotation is needs based, yeah. which is yeah. okay. That's a rotation. That's totally fine. Like you don't need to wedge yourself. It's like our conversation before about, um, about scrum and you know, the, the, the whole pattern and, you know, being really dogmatic, like yeah. screw that, like, you know, go with what works. So if it's a needs based rotation, then rotate as needed. And, and, you know, yeah. with you know, a certain minimum expectation maybe, but other than that, you know, like take it as it, as it comes. Um, and so then I think that the biggest thing that this boils down to is going to be a broader question of trust. Do you trust the people that are in the seats to do the job that needs to be done? Do you trust them to listen to your feedback, to listen to your guidance and suggestions, to, you know, to understand how their work fits into the broader whole? And I mean, now we're back to one of our favorite yeah. stomping grounds, which is just hiring the right people. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I feel like I feel like if you've got to ask that question, <laughs> you've already got issues. You know what you, I mean? As somebody I used to work with, if you can't trust your people, you should fire them. And he's being yeah. 100% honest about that. If you cannot trust them, yeah. then you should fire them because that means that they're not in the right spot. And so yeah. get if you do trust them, then why are you handcuffing them? Trust them to do the job, get out of their way and let them do the job and they'll, and they'll be fine. Yeah. And if they have problems, that's the, they'll that's raise the, is them. your computer plugged in of, kind of. of team dynamics. And yet, do you trust and, your team. Right? And yet, because if you don't, nothing can be expected <laughs> to work right. It, it is the computer plugged in question. And yet this, so many of you and I have seen this, I don't yeah. know how many times there are plenty of people who have gotten hung up on this where they have people they don't trust yeah. and they don't get rid of. Or you have managers that seem incapable of trusting and are just micromanaging. It's it, it, it just seems to be the 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 lowest common denominator. Like it's just always there. It's, well, the problem is, Frank, it's so hard to find good people. You know, and I think which is which is true, but it's a surface level analysis, right? You know, yeah. what's also hard is dealing with the consequences of not having the right people on your team every single day and every single quarter and every single half and every single year. Mm -hmm. um, it really like I, I come up with this. This is almost a knee jerk response with me now. Like we don't have time. You know, if you do the four box exercise where you you map out your SWAT map out your to-dos and oh. you rank them on on one axis important and non-important and on the mm -hmm. other axis is urgent and non-urgent you know mm -hmm. that 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 exercise yes, i've seen that one yeah mm -hmm. anything in the urgent column like you don't have time not to do it that's the reality you don't have time to not do it right um and and so often uh, it's people just get, that stuff gets pushed get and I get it, on, man. It, yeah. They get hung up on the short term cost and yeah. because it's short term, it's more immediate. And that's how our brains operate at the expense yeah. of the long term pain and the long term benefit, because that's further out. I don't need to think about that. You know, our, mm -hmm. our, our, our hu human ability to distance ourselves from the, humans are so dumb. <laughs> <they're> so <laughs> We should just rename <laughs> this. are just so that's dumb. Basically, that's basically the subtitle of this entire podcast, Refactored. Humans are so yeah. dumb. <laughs> They're just dumb. 
uh, you know, that's, that's always going to, that's always going to be at, at play. Um, and yeah, you, you can't, you're, I think you're right. You cannot not do it. You only hurt yourself more later. You know, you're simply burying your, your head in the sand. So you, yeah. You got to do it. Take the short-term pain. It's never as bad as you think. This is the other thing that I think a lot of people, they overestimate what the initial discomfort yeah. is going to be or what the initial, like in this case, like we're talking about your, your, you know, if you shifted, okay. Yeah. It might be a little chaotic. Would it really be how much more painful than it would be right now? I mean, really, because it sounds like these people are already fairly embedded. All you're doing is taking yeah like is it really that is it bad? really, is it really that, that different bad, that different right yeah. exactly you know you're what you're yeah. really doing is you're giving the people on your team potentially more room to maneuver and i haven't met an a, an employee yet myself included who did not love when the when the the boss said this is yours take care of it I'm getting out of the way you know you've got more responsibility more authority yeah. you know this is yours to handle you know, win, lose, or draw, you own the results. Oh my gosh. Everybody loves that. Yeah. And if they don't love that, yeah. then that's then you should fire them. <laughs> so Well, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what I that's what I think about all of that. And uh, you know, I I'm I'm so glad that uh, you know, we were able to solve I was able to solve all of your professional problems today. Like that's well that's what this that's is. Why I'm, that's why I'm that's what that, I mean, that's why you're here is to just simply benefit from all of this genius that is just all of your sage wisdom filling out of my brain just constantly there's just so much of it i just can't contain it so you're like you're like jim carrey in that terrible batman movie where by the end of it his head is swollen from all of the knowledge that he sucked out of i don't know people's <laughs> teeth you are wearing a green shirt today so i think this could work i think I he was a good riddler for the record i think jim carrey was actually a very good riddler that movie was just ridiculous I, but jim carrey he was, was a good riddler I, I will say he was a victim of just a terrible film just <laughs> terrible film Oh, man. Well, uh, if you uh, want to tell us about your favorite Riddler or the Joker or Two-Face. Uh, Heath Ledger. Write us. Heath Ledger. Uh, refactored.work is where you can find our show. Notes, archives, back episodes, recommendations. Uh, feedback at refactored.work is how you would send us those comic book critiques. Uh, you can write us an email or you can record uh, voice record on your phone and send that to us on email. We'll play it in the show. Uh, encourage you to, to give us feedback, questions, comments, uh, or frivolity. We'll take it all any way we can get it. Uh, online, I am at Tonkinson.com and Frank is at HotColes, K-O-E-H-L-S.com. And this has been episode 78 of the Refactored Podcast, recorded a August 30th, 2022. Thanks, Frank. See you, buddy.